one of the things that I'm struck by this morning is that this is a congregation where there should be a place for everyone. If you're young, there's little kids who run up front and they drop off coins or bills in this container here. And, and if you're old, you might be able to look around and see there's some other old folks here too. If you talk funny like an American or normal like a Canadian or South African, <laughs> there's a place here too. So we hope if you're visiting this morning that you'll uh, find... Um, Though a lot of diversity and people from different phases of life, we commit ourselves to one very ancient story. God in creation at work through Jesus Christ, continuing his ministry through the Holy Spirit. So we talk about a lot about what has happened in the world through God. We also talk a lot about what will happen, the future that God is bringing about with his will and by his desire and plan. And we talk about how the past and how the future, how they come to have bearing on our lives today. And so we hope that if you're visiting this morning that you will find a place where you too will encounter this ancient story, this future hope that has significance in our present day life. Uh, we did have some announcements uh, earlier about things happening. One thing that I did want to mention is that immediately following this service, Maybe not immediately. If you want to change, you can. Uh, but we're all going to be going up to Veterans Park and having lunch together. And if you'd like to join us, uh, you're more than welcome uh, to do so. Uh, so we'd be, be honored to have you to join us at the picnic this afternoon. Uh, you may have experienced this sort of thing if you're with a, a child or a grandkid or a niece or a nephew or a brother or a sister where you go somewhere that that other person delights in that thing. Maybe it's a, a park and they're on the swings and they're on the slide and they're having the time of their life and you as the caregiver or the friend or the provider keep looking at your watch saying, how much longer are we going to be here? It doesn't take long before you start, man, my back is hurting. And you become consumed with all of these sort of things about how you're feeling and how you're doing. And then there are other times and other experiences where the exact same thing can be happening and you see the delight in their face, you see how much they're enjoying it, and you enjoy it just as much as they do. All these thoughts about how you're feeling have just passed away and you're in the moment with those people. See, worship, I think, is this process whereby we get past ourselves enough to be so fully present with God that we delight in the things that God delights in. That we're no longer concerned, well, what am I thinking about this? How am I feeling about this? How am I experiencing this? And yet we come to find, if God is delighted by this, then I too am delighted by it. See, worship is the process of simply ascribing worth to something. It is giving God all that he is worth. We determine things that are valuable, that are worthy by our thoughts, by our actions, by our attitudes, by our priorities. Worship will dictate what we give ourselves to and it will also dictate what we ignore and neglect and overlook. 
It doesn't take very long for us to realize all of us in some way worship something. Our lives are geared around or focused around something. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning in, in a new series that we're beginning here in Billings, is looking at this concept of worship. Now, as I say worship this morning, as I introduce it, I want to introduce it in a general way. So don't hear me saying worship and then translate that to church service or to corporate worship. We're talking this morning generally about what happens in the pattern of worship. We'll see worship this morning as a verb, something that we do and something that we take part in and something that we participate in. And though we may all worship something, the Bible is very clear about the ultimate source of worship. If you remember the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, Matthew records these words. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to them, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. All our worship is to be directed to and centered around and founded on God. No one else is worthy to be ascribed the worth that God is worshipped. And so that brings us to the first thing that happens in worship, and that is that simply that God acts. When we talk about worship, the first things we need to recognize is that before anything that has been done on our part, God has done something, that God has been at work. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word here for created is the word bara, B-A-R-A, and it is a word in the Hebrew Bible that is exclusively used for God. Exclusively means therefore angels cannot bara. Humans cannot bara. Animals cannot bara because bara means to create something out of nothing. We look at this world and we see that there is something that only God can do. So from the very beginning we realize there is a dramatic difference between the creator and the creation. We are people who have been made by the very words of God. Imagine if someone takes you into an empty room, locks you up, and says, I'm going to come back in an hour, and I'm going to see what you made for me. How many of you would be able to make anything? No, because you are the created ones. Out of nothing we cannot create. And yet God does. We as humans can create if we are given tools and supplies, nails, markers, Legos, paper. Then we can make something. But it is God alone who can create out of nothing. See, what we as humans can do is like what is mentioned in Genesis 3-7, when we are told that Adam and Eve made loincloths. The word there is asa. Humans can asa. If you give me the raw material, if you give me the paper and the pen, I can make something. But out of nothing, I cannot make anything. And so the, the Bible in the very beginning, Genesis 1, is establishing that God is the one who creates and makes all things that we see. That we are then sustained in relationship by God and through God himself. 
And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 4, there is a comment that is made in regards to this creation. This phrase is that God looks at what He has made and He declares it good. The phrase is repeated in Genesis 1, 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, 25. It all culminates in verse 31 where it says, God saw everything He had made and indeed it was very good. So not only does God create, but we know what God creates is good. The God is a God who is a good God, creating therefore good things for His people. So when it comes to worship, why does it matter that God is the one who created this good world? We live in a world where we believe that those who create things ought to get credit for what they've created. That's why we have things like copyright laws and trademarks, because we want to ensure the one who created receives what is due to them. So in 2013, when Robin Thicke had a hit song called Blur Lines, the family of Martin Gaye listened to that song and said, that song sounds an awful lot like the song our now-deceased father Martin Gaye wrote in 1977. So guess what they did? They sued him for copyright violations and infringement, and the judge agreed with them and awarded the Gay family $7.3 million. It matters who creates something originally, because they are the ones who should be given the credit and the due for what is made. And so as we think about worship, one of the things that we need to recognize is that God as the creator then is the one that deserves all glory and honor and praise. Because everything originates in Him, and through Him, and because of Him. Here's three psalms that simply shortly offer this affirmation of God's worthiness in creation. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory, for the sake of Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness. Psalm 65, verse 1, Praise is due you, O God, in Zion, and you shall all vows shall be performed through you. Or Psalm 29, verses 1 through 2, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name, worship the Lord in holy splendor. Because God is the creator and the initiator of all things, He deserves all glory. And He is worthy of all the praise that we have. That's why Romans chapter 11 verse 36 says it this way, For from Him, that being God, from God and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And creation is but one example of God being at work. Before there is anything that happens on all part, our part, we recognize God is doing things and God has done things. So the first thing we recognize is that God acts in this cycle of worship. And then the second thing that happens then is we encounter God. This does not mean that, that, that what we recognize is at the very time that God does it. Sometimes God has done something and it takes us a while. Can we admit sometimes we're a little slow to waking up to what God has already done in the world? And yet when we recognize it, we become aware of something that God has been at work in or with for a long, long 
time. About three years ago, our family was traveling on the North Island of New Zealand, and we didn't really know where we were. We had taken a different route, and we were coming across uh, a road, and we saw this, this kind of cliff area over the beach, and it had trees kind of hanging over, and it was just at sunset. And, and for lack of a better word, we were compelled to stop got out of the vehicle, and it was one of the most awe-inspiring, breathtaking things to just watch the sunset there at that place. It's one of those sort of things that I could probably say, the best thing I could do is to just say, you had to be there. Aren't there things like that, that you have to encounter yourself? You have to experience yourself to realize its awesomeness and its grandeur. The biblical text says of God that it's very similar. That, that, that it is different to talk about an experience of God and different than to experience it yourself. So an encounter is something that is a fully sensory experience. Mark 12.30 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. See, there's a difference between being told about an event and experiencing that event yourself. Imagine that Billings just opened up a new French restaurant. It's getting rave reviews. So you ask a friend, you say, who you knew ate there, and you say, what was the food like? And then they describe it to you, and then at the end you say, oh, well, great, thanks for the spoiler alert. Now I guess I never have to eat there because you already told me what it's like to eat there. Would you ever do that? Being told about something is completely different than experiencing it yourself. See, to come into an encounter with God we will experience as people different things. And there's an awful lot of different things in encounter with God we will experience, but just a couple of things that we can expect when we come into the very presence of God that we will experience awe and adoration. That we will marvel at the grandeur and the greatness and the bigness and the whatever other adjectives you can add to that statement of God. To be in the presence of God is amazing. And it is there in the presence of God you have a full awareness of who God is as creator. You become aware of his lack of limits. That there is nothing that this God cannot do. Psalm 33, 8-9 says, Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. This God who speaks, and it comes to be. Sometimes with my children, that works. After about the eighth or the ninth time, I speak, and it comes to be. But imagine looking at nothing. And on the very first act of speech, it comes to be. We stand in awe of a God like that. But another part of this encounter with God that we can expect to experience is also this word of fear. And fear not in the sense that a criminal might be afraid of, of, of what the justice system might do them or, or you're getting ready for the electric chair and you feel afraid. No, not fear in that sense, but in terms of reverence. In terms of recognizing the greatness 
of the other, the great respect you have for them. And it is in this process of being in the presence of God, not only do you become fully aware of who God is, but you also become fully aware of who you are in the presence of this God. See, we had this text that was read for us. Um, and uh, poor Nathan, I didn't realize with the South African how much Isaiah and Uzziah sound alike. Can, those two can get confusing, can't they? But listen to this, first of all, awe and adoration, and then also Isaiah when he comes to the full realization, not just of God, but also of himself. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah 6, verse 1, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings, with two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they called to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is full of His glory. And the pivots of the threshold shook, and the voices of those who called, and the house was filled with smoke. That's awe and adoration. And yet, when Isaiah comes to his recognition of himself, he says in verse 5, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we stand in front of God's greatness, we become aware of His greatness, but we also become aware of who we are in the presence of this King and Master. And there are two kinds of encountering God that we find in the Bible. The first are unplanned and unintentional encounters. When we experience something, and it's not even until sometimes the process is finished or halfway through it, realize, oh, wait a minute, this is something more dramatic and significant than I thought that it was. Following a dream, Jacob says in Genesis chapter 28, verses 16 and 17, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Or Moses, when he sees the burning bush, he goes over to investigate, and then he comes to hear this voice calling out for him, Moses, Moses, and he realizes that God is present. There are these times when there are unplanned and unintentional encounters with God. And then there are also planned encounters. We find this in Exodus chapter 19. When God is getting ready to come and to be present and to give the law, He asks the people to prepare for His coming. And so here's a sense of what the people are to do in Exodus 19, beginning in verse 10. Go and tell the people and consecrate themselves today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and prepare for the third day, because on the third day the Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the limit sights of all the people. You are to set limits for the people all around. Be careful not to go up to the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Anyone who touches the mountain shall be put to death. And so there are other times where we know we are getting ready to go into the presence of God and there will be preparations that need to be made in the process of that encounter. Much of what happens in corporate worship service is a prepared encounter. We know when it happens on a Sunday morning. We know, we know who all's go, what's going to be involved and entailed in that. And we come in and we come into that preparing beforehand for that encounter. 
But something that follows now in this worship cycle falls closely on the heels of an encounter is a response. The nature of the response usually will fall into two categories. The first is an immediate response. And then the second is a more long-term response. Miroslav Volf says, Authentic Christian worship takes place in a rhythm of adoration. That's this presence and immediate response. And then action, which we're recognizing here as a long-term response. Now, if I were to go over every immediate response to being in the presence of God, we'd be here all day. And so I just picked three. Three is a good biblical number. So three examples of an example of the ways that people will immediately respond to being in the presence of God. One of those responses is silence. Job 43, verses 3 through 5. Then Job answered the Lord, See, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. So Job finds himself in the presence of God, and what does he do? He says, I'm not talking anymore. Silence is an immediate response to being in the presence of God. Another immediate response to being in the presence of God is verbal praise. Luke 1, 46 through 49. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. And holy is his name. A response to an encounter with this holy God. Or the third is confession. Psalm 51, 1 through 4, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence, sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. And so there may be, in the process of encountering God, there may be an immediate response, inclusive of these, plus an awful lot more things. But then there also is to be a more long-term response. This long-term response may, may happen hours or days after, but the implications of this response will last for a lifetime. Like our Isaiah text, we find that the long-term response, there is a calling to mission. Isaiah 6, verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Isaiah, recognizing, having been in the presence of God, having recognized God cleansing him, he says, I am willing to do whatever this God calls me to do. Responding again to the experience of being in the presence of God. It's a different experience for Zacchaeus, when, when Jesus comes and he, they dine together, Zacchaeus in Luke 9, 8 says, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will repay back four times as much. That's a response to being in the presence of God, recognizing how I have handled my finances and my resources and how I have earned it has not been right. And out of response to that, I will do what I can 
to make things right by being generous with what I have. Our third response we find of confidence, Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 9 through 38 through 39. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a response of confidence. And it's living a life with confidence because one has witnessed the power of God and they go forward in confidence to God's power. And the response, of course, for long term can vary as well. You can be called to be more generous, to be more joyful, to be more repentant, to be more enthusiastic, to be more forgiving, to be more faithful, to be more grateful, to be more committed, to be more hopeful, to be more merciful. And on and on the options can go. But there is a response that God calls for. And perhaps the worst thing we could do in worship is to encounter this great God and walk away and be the exact same people. Because God is calling for us to change in response to Him. See, my prayer is that we will be a congregation that continually retells about God's mighty acts. That we will walk truthfully and boldly proclaiming what God has done in Christ Jesus through His Spirit. And that as we come into this place, we will encounter this God. That we will recognize His greatness and His majesty and His sovereignty and that we will respond in whatever way that God calls us to respond. And I want to end my sermon this morning with, with one of these places where praise simply flows, looks to me like unplanned and unintentionally, as Paul is writing the letter to the Romans. He's writing about all these deep theological things. And then it seems as though he is overcome by the presence of God and he, he breaks his movement and his flow of argument and he writes these words in Romans 11, verse 33 and 36. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him to receive a gift from him in return? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May we be a people who give God continually the glory that he always deserves. And a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I'll be in the back. Some of our elders will be back there. Uh, if you want somebody to pray with this morning, I encourage you to come and find us in the back while we stand and while we sing together.